Welcome to the Mr. Mike Podcast, Wrong Answers Only, Interview Edition. I let no audio go unrecorded, just in case I get something funny. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's nice to, uh, to put a face to a name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I should have worn my sunglasses. I looked exactly like my Twitter profile. another time maybe another time uh how was yeah. your day uh it was pretty good thanks actually i uh, just started my vacation today so hey pretty good nice yeah. the long school year yeah I, oh, tell me about it <laughs> i'm not doing what you're doing but i work in uh, a self-contained uh specialized class for kids with autism okay and then i thought my summer would have started by now but now i'm doing renovations and um that's like a 24 hours a day now. So I, I, I think I got in an hour ago. And you put this podcast together. And I'm putting the podcast together when I have some time. But then uh, next week, my schedule is a little bit more flexible and stuff. Enough about me. Let's talk about you. All right. Sounds good. Joseph Dentino. Yeah. From Montreal. You're a local. Uh, we interviewed some locals for season two as well. So nice to have you aboard. You're a PhD candidate in uh, school and applied child psychology at McGill University. And before we get into uh, everything else, I understand that you coached hockey. I did, yeah. <laughs> I checked out your profile on, uh, on LinkedIn and stuff. So you, you coached hockey from uh, yeah. 2013, 2017. So what age group did you coach? So uh, when I was working at the study, I coached a pretty big age group because we we're trying to relaunch the hockey program. The studies uh, school for girls, K to 11. Yeah. And uh, I had uh, some elementary school students, uh, mostly in grade five and six, and some high school. We also had uh, a firecracker of a player who started with us in grade two, but she didn't she didn't compete until she was older. Okay. But she was really good. So we let her uh, come join the practices. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. A lot of those girls were playing for the first time. So we started with baby seal drills. You know, just learning to fall and uh, yeah, and being comfortable with that. That's fun, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would do it first, right? So I gotta go show them how to <laughs> how to slide across the rink on your tummy and get back up. My friend of mine coached uh, coached hockey when he was younger. I think it was an older boys team. He loved it. He said it was fantastic. I mean, his team was terrible, but <laughs> he uh, at least they had fun, and uh, it's pretty rewarding. So that's cool that you you coach hockey. Who's your favorite hockey team? I'm a Habs fan, man. Habs fan, right there, and you're watching yeah. all the signings and everything, right? Oh yeah, I'm keeping up with that, and I got uh, I got very excited uh, to see Kirby Doc join the team, and yes, looking forward to having some stability at the center position. Yes, about time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Then we could talk about something else. Somebody's going to bring up some other weakness in, in, in the team, and everyone's going to talk about that. But at least it won't be about the center. At least it won't be about the center. I, I think <laughs> the at least as we get the center position down, we can figure everything out. It's usually the hardest position to fill, I think. I, I agree. Except sure. except now all the teams are having struggling funding goalies and uh, paying everybody ridiculous amounts of money. 
Yes. When you, when you, I, I, you know, I have this, uh, this schadenfreude a little bit with, uh, with the Maple Leafs as I'm sure many Habs fans do. And, mm. and you watch Matt Murray join their team and you're like, mm, I wonder what's going through that GM's head. <laughs> ah, Matt Murray, uh, you know, he, I mean, he won a cup, but I don't know about now. I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah. And anyways, so yeah. So, uh, maybe hockey talk for another time. But uh, yeah, so you watch some hockey or a Habs fan. Your thesis for your PhD work, you're, you're examining the development of executive functioning skills, such as like planning, working memory, goal setting. And this is in adolescence and how to best support students in, and improve their skill set. So uh, tell us a little bit about your work and what you're studying. Yeah, so, um, so that's a, a really good uh, intro. I mean, executive functioning skills or executive functions, depending on who you talk to, I mean, um, they they pretty much address a lot of the skills you just mentioned, um, especially if we're looking at, at the skill sets of, of planning, time management, organization, goal setting. Um, a lot of the research has been done from a neuroscience standpoint, mm-hmm. where they actually use like big machines to to scan the brain and and analyze, you know, how do how do people develop inhibition or self control, and how do they develop working memory and and the ability to shift their strategies. And that's great. I mean, there's a wealth of research on that. But as an educator, I want to know how, how can we bring that into the classroom and make that practical right. Right? and actually improve outcomes for, for kids. So, you know, we have a, a pretty good base of research to, to say that the kids who have stronger executive functioning skills are the ones who usually have better academic outcomes. Right. And there's also, um, you know, some suggestion that uh, that coaching um coaching those skills could lend to improvement. Um, most of that's been done with really early grades. So like, uh, you know, entering school, preschool type programs. And um, I've shown a lot of promise in terms of helping kids to develop better inhibition and, and better memory, but um, not so much with the high school students. And it's really curious because in terms of brain development, adolescents have a huge growth in, in brain development. It's right. uh it's one of those periods in, in human development where you grow the most aside from infancy, like that, that's the period where so much happens. And if we can coach kids to, uh, to improve their skill sets, the thought there is, is that we're going to improve outcomes. So before I get into the nitty gritty of, of what I did in my research project, maybe I'll tell you a bit about the inspiration for it. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I did my BA in psychology and and while I was doing that, I volunteered for this program called the Taylor Adolescent Program. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an after-school support program for kids with learning disabilities. It's been running for years and years. And I really, um, I really fell in love with the philosophy there and, and the work that I did with the kids because you could see these kids who have this, you know, this history of academic difficulty, but we would sit with them twice a week and help them develop strategies that would help them overcome those difficulties. So let's say they were poor readers. We figured out, you know, how to coach them to use software to, you know, dictation and, and text-to-speech and that kind of stuff, or or just reading strategies when they approach a text and, and see how that over time helped them to, to improve their grades. And, um, and then when I started working in a school and coordinating some of the student services, I noticed that a lot of the referrals were for kids who, you know, they, people suspected that they had some sort of diagnosis. They wanted to know, they want to get them assessed. But really what it came down to is they had weaknesses in their executive function, right? And um, and I thought, okay, well, if there's a way we can bring this type of instruction into the classroom, maybe we can prevent some of these referrals, right. you know, 
and so that prompted me to go back to uh, to school after I had done my master's and worked for a little bit. I, I thought, okay, I'm going to go back and do my PhD and see if if I can work on improving accessibility this type of uh, of coaching and see if we can integrate it into curriculum. So, so that's where uh, where I'm at now. I'm um, I'm near the end of of my research, um, but it was pretty much. Uh, I, I initially wanted to do this with athletes, honestly. Within really. School. Okay. I did, yeah. yeah. And uh, part of that is because I love sports, but also because I think there's so much learning that happens in those extracurriculars. And I want to see if we can generalize that to, to other things. But because of COVID, I had to pivot um, and brought it uh, to the classroom pretty much. Um, mostly remotely, unfortunately, because of the context. But right. uh, yeah. so it's the research is split into three parts. Um, the first part, looks at evaluating the handbooks that are developed and published and marketed towards teachers and seeing like which ones are actually backed by research. And that's really interesting because most of them are based on clinical experience and they're based in theory, but there's actually very little research that actually evaluates the techniques. Right. And, and so that's where part two comes in. Um, where I actually got to work with a school and uh, we, we organized for grade seven through 11 to have uh, an intervention group and a control group. And um, the kids in the intervention group, what, what we did for them is I created this, uh, this online lesson about executive functioning skills mm-hmm. and proper goal setting. Because oftentimes we, we ask kids to set goals and we expect that they know what they're doing. And they don't. <laughs> no. And they have no idea. You know? No, they have no idea. Like they're going to say, oh, I want to get, you know, 95 on my, on, on my math this year, but their grades like, you know, 60 right now. It's, it's, yeah. How it's do we a get little there? ambitious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how do we get there? So, so uh, yeah, so there's uh, that video that I put together and, um, and so we'd show the kids at the beginning and then the kid, the teacher would have a follow-up discussion with them. Uh, the students would set their goal. And then they'd have uh, a tracking form that they'd go back and forth with the teacher. So the tracking form wasn't for grades. It was really just for their own, their own goals. Um, I think moving forward, what we're going to have to look at is uh, a way to make it even more of an incentive or tied to something that's even closer to them. The challenge I had, honestly, was that I was doing all this remotely. If I was in the school, I feel like it would have been a lot better because we could sell this idea more, have more follow up with the kids. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, the teachers did a tremendous job of, of following up with them, giving feedback, um, and, uh, and, and responding to my coaching because I trained them on, on how to di- give different types of feedback that would be targeted towards developing, you know, whether the kid wanted to improve their planning or, or handing their assignments in on time or stuff like that. Um, so anyway, the intervention, I wanted to see if it was going to be effective, but honestly, in, in, in my mind, the more important thing was to see, is this feasible so that other people can take that model, refine it, use the, the teacher input at the end yeah. and, and then evaluate it with a bigger group. And so that's, that's pretty much where we're at. Um, and so uh, I'm still analyzing some of that data. I, if you want, when it comes out in a few months and hopefully I'll, I'll defend my thesis, I'll, I'll share it with you. You can share it with your listeners. Yes, for sure. Uh, and that kind of brings me to my third part because yeah. like obviously a dissertation I mean, when we say you're writing a dissertation these things are, are yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So the third part was a survey asking teachers for their input because, um, you know, because I work in education and I work so closely with teachers, I recognize that oftentimes the research or the professional development that, that we're doing is really disconnected from reality. All right. And uh, I, I want to get teacher input because I feel like that's going to help to improve the design moving forward, improve implementation. And, and quite honestly, it really did. Um, a, a lot of teachers gave some really good uh, input via survey. And I had a few who did follow-up interviews and spoke about their experience about coaching kids within the context of their classroom. And also um, had one or two who were talking about their experience of actually running a coaching program within a school. And so that was really cool too, because I got uh-huh. to learn more about like the ins and outs, what worked there. And it turned into like this, this case study within a larger study. Yeah. So, so it was really good. Um, yeah. So I'm rambling here. I mean, you just cut me off. Of <laughs> all the, so far of everybody I interviewed, like you're, you're on the nail. Like I don't even have to ask any questions. Like you're covering everything. So it's fantastic. It's super interesting. Oh, thank you. It's, it's super interesting. But wh- when are you defending your uh, thesis? Well, I, I don't have a date, okay. um, but I hope to, uh, I've submitted two thirds of, of what I need to submit to my supervisor. Yeah. hope to finish the rest by the end of August. And then uh, I'm aiming to defend sometime in, in the fall or early winter. So it's coming up soon. Uh, awesome. And what, what would that look like? Are you going to explain to everybody, well, how do you defend your thesis? <laughs> yeah. So you get a sword and a shield and you stand yeah. up there. And- <laughs> That's what I was thinking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny you ask that because I think the, the whole PhD process is a little bit of a mystery to a lot of people. And, and that, you know, that's a, the question you ask is one I get uh, pretty frequently, but it, it's because the, the language, I think, really solicits or elicits like this, you know, this, this big event. And, and it's stressful, I'm, uh, I'm sure, but uh, really all the work's done by that point, right? Like the tough part for me is, is like getting participants in the middle of a pandemic, but right. that's done. So like, but but you did it, right? I did it. Exactly. Exactly. So now we're at the point where I'm very grateful and counting all my lucky stars that I've got some data and I've got uh, information that I can use and I can write a story uh, similar to the one I just told you. Right. So, so this, the data fits together. I have to bring it into this nice, nice tight package. I send it to my supervisor and then I have committee members who also evaluate it. And, um, if they approve and they say, okay, we're ready for defense, then we get an external reviewer, an internal reviewer. There's this whole group of academics who, whether it's Zoom or in person, are, are going to listen to me present my research, the rationale, the methodology, the results, uh, and the implications. And then they're going to ask me questions. But the, uh, the general process is, I mean, it sounds kind of scary and intimidating, and I'm sure I'll feel nervous, but I have amazing expertise at, at my fingertips. I get to consult my supervisor. I get to consult my committee beforehand. They're going to give me edits. I'm going to refine this thing before I stand up there. So uh, it's more process than it is. Uh, well, you have it at the tip of your fingers. You can go up there on a whim and talk about it and you'll be fine. Really? Well, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. But, no? you know, they're going to they're gonna pick it apart, I'm sure. <laughs> In terms of, of how I went about it, I think the methodology is uh, is the bigger part, you know. Like, uh, there's so many different projects that get defended at the core of it is, are you engaging in good science? Are you engaging in, in ethical science? Um, is it useful? Did you, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's and all that stuff. And you never know what's going to be asked, but 
I've watched a bunch of my friends defend theirs. And what I've learned is if you don't know something, then be honest and and just say, you know, why you chose to do it a certain way and, and use that rationale. Awesome. Yeah, because no, nobody needs me to shovel anything, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could if you wanted to. Maybe yeah. you can meander your way through the, the unknown parts, but uh, no, that's awesome. And, like, you chose this route and you got your inspiration, but, like, prior to getting into education, did you did you think this was going to the route you are going to be taking? Well... You know, if we go all the way, we rewind back to 2005 when I graduated from high school. The only thing that the adults in my life told me to do was to go get a university education. Hmm. They never said how or what or why. Well, why it was implicit that it's going to be, you know, good for good for my future. But you're going to get you're going to get a job. Go to university. Exactly. You know, <laughs> but um, but it wasn't really clear, you know, in terms of a path. And and uh, I went to Dawson for SAGEP and I studied commerce there. Yeah. And when I was done with that program and I was working at the bank at the same time and, and um, I didn't really like that environment, to be honest, you know, it, it wasn't me. I mean, for a lot of people, it's great. But uh, but I, I just for from my volunteer experiences working with kids, I just felt like that was going to be a better fit for me. So I went to the Dawson guidance and I guess I caught somebody on a bad day and uh, I said, I'd like to apply to psychology, either Concordia or McGill. And it's, they told me not to apply. <laughs> why? Uh, uh, you know what? I wish I knew why. Because, but it's the reason. The fact that they didn't give me a reason why was the the motivating factor for me yeah. to say, you know what, I'll apply anyway. So I switched into psychology. I did my studies there, and and still, you know, I finished my BA, and I I, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I kind of had a feeling I wanted to work with kids, but the path from your bachelor's to your master's to your to your um, PhD is, is not always uh, clearly laid out for some people. Some people are amazing and they go straight from, from their bachelor's to the master's. But I say that I'm lucky in the sense that the fact that I didn't know actually afforded me more opportunity to learn in the field. Right. You know, when I, when I graduated from my, from my bachelor's degree, I, I trained as an ABA therapist. So applied behavioral. Oh analysis. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So you're familiar with that because yeah. that's, you know, working with kids with autism and I uh, continued to work at the Taylor Adolescent program and I worked as a research assistant at Concordia and all those things kind of helped me to, to find, yeah, they all came together and, and helped me find my passion a little bit and know that I want to work in education. And uh, so I went back and I did my master's in educational psychology. And, and the beautiful thing about that degree is that it's really what you make of it. It doesn't funnel into any one employment. Like there's teachers who go in there because they, they want to go to the next pay scale. There's, yeah. there's uh, other educators who go in there because they want to research a certain topic. There's, uh, there's all kinds of different motivations. There's some people who are not even in education. Like they're, they're nurses who want to train other nurses. Like to me that it was so cool working with and collaborating with all these different people and, and taking inspiration from different fields and then making that work for me. And I was lucky enough that, uh, that I got a job um coming out of my master's and I, I, I worked in school for three years and then that that kind of brought me to to this point that's awesome yeah, yeah. and uh, all the hard work's going to pay off I, I i have no doubt you'll you'll go up you should defend your your thesis with a shield and a sword that would be that would be that would be something i'm sure we hear about it on the news too uh yeah i'm sure 
Well, man fails thesis because he misinterprets the assignment. <laughs> you know, I just got attacked by one of my boxes that fell from the from the desk. I'm gonna... you, would you consider that a sign, or is that just a? It, a, it says a mis- it box. says mystery tin on it, so uh, I'm assuming uh, it could be a good sign. That's good. You don't hear my daughter crying in the background by by any chance. I do not. It's almost uh, bottle time, and she's starting to get cranky. So she's oh. like, I hear her screaming her head off down there, but uh, awesome. So yeah, that's a that's a wealth of experience that has led you into your your PhD studies, and obviously the hockey coaching. I mean, I mean the hockey coaching is why you're here. Like it's all about the coaching, right? I, I, I'll tell you that that coaching experience was one of the best of my life, and uh, I, I I never had a chance to to play hockey growing up. Honestly, like I played at the outdoor rink. Yeah. But when I was 18, I went to McGill. I had some money to buy my own equipment, or whatever. Started playing intramural, and I haven't stopped playing since. So, just to share that passion with with kids who are just interested in the game, like for some of them, at some point, they needed a much more experienced coach because yeah. I didn't have that, you know, experience growing up. But just to teach them how to skate, how to hold the stick, basic formation. At some point, when we got five kids skating out of zone together and they're passing the puck, I'm like, wow. Flying V, everybody. Flying V. Let's go. Mighty Ducks. <laughs> yeah, if you ignore the offside rule, then it works. <laughs> I, ne- I was never able to play ice hockey. I have a terrible – my right knee is terrible. I've always had issues with it, and I have uh, flat feet, and I wear orthotics. So I, my left leg, I could, but my right leg, forget it. And I tried and tried for years. And so I ended up playing lots of ball hockey leagues, intramurals. Uh, I volunteered. I taught – with some children after school, uh, one of the YMCA's we have here for a couple of years. So I did that. So and I volunteered in the uh, local charity hockey tournaments and, and different things. So that's how I, um, I, I get my hockey fill. I mean, uh, I, it's not on ice, but you know, I, I try to get it in. Well, ball hockey is awesome. And, and do you play the, cause you mentioned the charity tournament. Do you play the hockey duty for the, yeah, I, I played, games? I played in that a couple of years ago and then, um, well, we we won. I forget who. Oh, jeez, why am I forgetting everybody's names now? Anyways, we won the fundraising, I guess trophy or nomination or whatever. And then we played in a couple of games. We lost. We there was some formal. There were some former Montreal Canadian players playing in the tournament, so it was just yep. I found kind of funny. I think Louis LeBlanc maybe was one of them. So that was kind of funny. You know, the guy comes by, gives you a shot. I'm a goalie, gives you a shot in the in the in the blocker, and it's all it's all fun in games and. I really liked that tournament. I thought that was um, that was really cool. And then they got some of the kids to uh, participate participate from the local schools. And I think yeah. ma- maybe uh, English Montreal School Board, at, where I work for, they, they I think they sent a, a team, one of the teachers put together a team for them. So that was pretty cool. Outside of that, I love hockey. Like I, that's that's my thing. I work with kids, and I love hockey. So those are those are the things that keep me busy. The guidance counselor, now that you mentioned that, when the guidance counselor gave you the wrong advice or told you, no, you shouldn't go into psychology, I yeah. must have spoken to at least three or four guidance counselors. And at Concordia University, I went to see one and they, they just said, you should go into sociology. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> it's just like, it would be good for you. It's going to open up doors. And I'm like, where what doors like I, I i think for whatever reason uh, i think sociology i think anthropology and I, i'm thinking dinosaurs like going to with a brush <laughs> and sand 
And I was clear. I mean, it's not connected in any relate any way, but I, I keep thinking about that. And I'm like, no, I, I don't want to do sociology. And my friend and that same person spoke to my friend and he ended up doing sociology for some reason and did nothing with that degree. But so I, I was working with kids doing camp and I ended up in child studies and then ended up being in teaching. And then I'll, now I'm doing uh, administration, uh, administrative studies at uh, McGill myself. Awesome. I'm still going in that route and, you know, we'll see where the wind takes me. But uh, yeah, a bunch of guidance counselors I met, they were just, they gave all the wrong advice. I'm like, I could be a better guidance counselor than this. Well, you just have, you got to listen, right? Like it's, um, I, I've worked with some amazing guidance counselors. So I don't want to, I want to paint them all, paint them all with a bad brush here. But um, I think what really, from my experience at Dawson, when I was talking with this person is that they didn't care to ask any questions see where my head was at. Why am I asking to go into this other program? Like there was none of that. It was just a flat out. No, not even looking at my transcript. Like it was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And what you're describing sounds a lot like the sorting hat from Harry Potter. Did, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, did you have to do a assessment of some sort before you saw the guidance counselor? Like it was like, a, uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. You know what it told me to do? It told me to be a horse trainer. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I have, I had, I dated a girl who whose parents had horses, but that's the extent of my experience. Like, I don't know anything about horses. <laughs> uh, I wonder, I wonder what the questions that were, were that made you get into that direction. Like, okay, you're definitely going to be a horse trainer, hundred percent. Go, go do this. Uh, I, but it's funny because I, I told you about the Concordia guidance counselor, but I also I went to Vanier College. So I met a I met a, a guidance counselor there, and they were just as lost, just as mm-hmm. lost. And I, I don't know for everybody else, but I found well if you're if because we have a lot of American listeners. Uh, for the American listeners, we have high school uh, CJEP college, which is usually two years, unless you're doing like a program and you're doing three years, and then you go into like nursing or different things like that. And then you go to university for your bachelor's degree and then your master's and so on and so on. So our college years are, I find for me, were really strange because you really didn't know what was going on. And you mm-hmm. just, you're meeting all these teachers who, who either very good or very bad. I, I mean, from my personal experience, and I'll, I, I'm honest, I like, I did not enjoy my college years. So yeah, guidance counselors all over the place were not great. Uh, I felt like, um, like obviously sage up is so different from everyone else's experiences in Canada or the United States. Yeah. Um, but I felt like it was more of a social growth for me than it was an academic growth. Yes. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I met so many people who I otherwise would not have met from different walks of life and everything. I got involved with the, with the radio station at Dawson. I met a lot of people through there. Um, it was, it was, um, it was a great time, but academically, I mean, I did, I did well, but it was, uh, in terms of a pathway, I mean, it was very muddy. I'm trying to think. I spent a lot of time, because Vanier College is segregated by cafeterias, by nationalities, which is <laughs> really... Dawson too. I, I, Dawson too. <laughs> and for anybody listening, it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And I was just speaking to somebody about this yesterday. And then you had the end cafeteria with uh, all the Italians... And you had the other cafeteria with uh, with the Greeks and then so on and so on and so on. And I, I'm half Italian, but I, I went to school with Italian. So I'm going to go hang out in the Italian cafeteria because it's mostly who I know. 
And then what, mm-hmm. did I, what did I end up doing? I ended up playing Italian cards all day. I played Brisk and, and Scopa and all that stuff. And people just skipped their classes because they wanted to hang around and uh, talk to people and and just, just hang out. It was a good time. A lot of them failed. Yeah. They, they dropped out or they failed. But I it was, and on top of that, going to the going to the classes, they were just a bit of a waste of time. Not really. Like, there's no me. I felt it was hit or miss, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you said, you either had an amazing teacher or you had teachers who were just running the clock. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways, college years, what are you going to do about that? So uh, let's let's get on from hockey and college years. And we're <laughs> going to talk about uh, what you're going to talk about. Uh, HealthyLearningMTL.com. Oh, nice. And your website because uh, you have a Twitter. Well, we'll get to your social medias after. But uh, HealthyLearningMTL.com. Tell us about how you started it and... And then we can talk about your partner. Um, yeah, so so I started this um, out of a, I guess it's kind of linked to the same reason why I went back to, to school is that I want to improve accessibility to information and, and to services. Um, so when I was working at the study, we'd often have to make referrals for assessments for different things. And um, I just found that the wait lists were super long and things were very expensive. And then Oh, yeah. Once parents got the information, they didn't really know what and, and you know what to do with it. And then I I felt like a lot of my role there was like presenting or like deciphering what was in those reports or just generally, you know, talking about good habits like sleep and and goal setting and those types of things to students, the teachers and the parents. And I thought, OK, well, this is great that we're doing it within this little bubble, but let's bring that outside. So I kind of had this this idea that at some point I'd like to to uh, get involved with a center or create a center that would improve accessibility services. Um, and I had the, uh, the privilege of, uh, of, of working at a community center for a little bit, Tyndale St. George's. And, um, and, and we did some of that work there too, but I, I was talking with, um, with a friend that I just met in the hallways in McGill. I hadn't seen in a while. And she said she had a similar goal, but neither of us really had the time or the money to start setting up a center or anything yeah. like that. So we said, okay, why don't we just put what we know, what we often talk about in a blog and see like if we get presentations out of it or anything like that, that'd be great. But it was really about sharing information, like how to navigate an IEP, for example, yeah. we got to post on that, how to, you know, for students, like how do you get started on stuff? Um, that's usually the biggest challenge. How do you start your homework? How do you set a good routine? know those types of things uh we've got a couple of uh, blogs on sleep um you know it's like it's just sharing resources and sharing information that i think would be helpful for uh for families for teachers for for students to know and it's completely free um and uh, it's it's sort of turned into like this this little hobby on the side i i I wish i had more time to dedicate it but maybe after i'm done um with my thesis then i'll put more attention on it but we've had some guest writers too and um it's it you know it's been pretty successful i mean for for the amount of time i put into it i think if if we actually focused uh on it now i'm doing it on my own now because uh, the co-founder amy shapiro she uh or dr amy shapiro i should say she um she has her hands full with other stuff so she needs to, to take a break from it um but um but yeah it, it's it's been a pretty good success so far that's awesome and uh, I, I mean i was perusing before uh, we started i was looking at it and you have a you have a little blog you got your twitter 
healthy Montreal, healthy MPL, which is Montreal, uh, your Twitter account hooked up. So that's on the side too. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's probably something that if you had more time, you would water a little bit more and then there's the growth. So, uh, yeah. everybody keep out for it. Uh, keep out, keep your eye peeled and, uh, go check it out and, uh, we'll expect some good things in the future. Uh, no Thank pressure, you. no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's it's actually led to some nice opportunities because we've uh, we've given some presentations based off of some of like the the blogs were some jumping off points. So people contact us and say, "Hey, would you like to give a talk on this?" And and you know, sometimes uh, we got paid for, but most of the time we did it for free, and it was it, it's been helpful. That's the beginning. That's that's exactly. the beginning from what I talking to people in similar situations, and uh, that's good. Uh, honestly, that early success. So uh, yeah, I'm sure if you keep building on that. It's gonna it's gonna evolve into something of its own, and then like you said, you sometimes you don't know where things are going until you start, and then you see where it's going. Uh, by yeah. by the wind, midway, you're like, I got something here, so that's awesome. Thanks. So about your social media, you're on Twitter, then Tino, so D I N T I N O J on Twitter, Healthy MTL on Twitter, Joseph Dentino on LinkedIn, HealthyLearningMontreal.com, and also for everybody to know is that you have uh you actually have some publications out as well hmm. uh are there any of them that you want to uh, touch upon briefly or uh yeah yeah thanks um so i have uh some research articles that are published um one looks at i think probably the most important one that i've done is examining the the definition of learning disabilities across canada yeah um i think it's behind a firewall or paywall if, uh, if you're not part of a university, um, if you if people are interested in that, like they can reach out to me and, and see what we can do. But uh, essentially, the purpose of the article was to um, bring attention to the fact that learning disabilities are kind of defined differently across provinces. There's different protocols put into or policies put in by different governments because oh, yeah. education is mandated by provinces in Canada. And um, it's just generally we're not on the same page. <laughs> hundred percent. We're not on the same page across Canada. Yeah. So I was bringing attention to that. And I, I, that's, that's been my most cited uh, publication and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, I came up with the idea on my own to, to bring attention to that fact and, and to compile all that information. But I've also written about uh, research practices, um, which is a huge theme of the lab that I'm part of the connections lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, my supervisor, Stephen Shaw, he, um, He's really into evidence-based practice, uh, trying to make sure that uh, that research is, um, you know, reliable, valid, uh, that we can replicate it, that that um, that we're making it accessible. And so, I really appreciate those values. And so, I've been part of some of those articles. And I've also uh, written about uh, teacher training practices for you know differentiated instruction and and. That's a trigger word for a lot of teachers, but <laughs> <laughs> it is. But but I write about why that is, you know, yeah. because uh, in the the B Ed programs, teacher certificate programs, it's often not addressed, and then the teachers are expected to do this thing, and and they're doing it on minimal training. It's I find it's not really a fair deal. It, it's true, minimal, minimal, uh, the minimal, the the bottom of the barrel training. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's pretty cool, though. That's that's pretty impressive, I have to say. On Twitter, I have a lot of educators and teachers and principals who follow me. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, you're available. They can, yeah, they can uh, contact me on Twitter or uh, 
uh, you know, DM me or I think my LinkedIn stuff is there too. And you can contact me that way. Yeah. I'm always happy to, to have a conversation about you know, different themes in education. Um, but also as you probably see from my, my Twitter, I do talk a lot about hockey too and, <laughs> and stuff that happens in Montreal. Like I I'm, I'm really, uh, I know I I'm born and raised here, but I'm really in love with the city and, and, uh, Montreal's fantastic. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell people all the time, you got to come visit if you're not from here. There's so many, I mean, just, just in terms of like visually, like if you go to Old Port, if you just go in to look at the locations, going to restaurants, you want to attend a hockey game, whether it's Montreal, you want to go watch the, uh, the Laval Rocket, uh, in, in Laval. I mean, we don't have a baseball team, but I mean, we got a, we got a good nightlife and we got a good, we got a good shopping around. I mean, parking sucks and, the traffic's terrible. That I, that's that's yeah. I think that's our big <laughs> our biggest complaint: politics, parking, and driving. Right. But you know what? I think a lot of a lot of cities have that complaint too. Like it, we're in the thick of it, right? Yeah. I, I completely get it. Yeah. I will be the first to complain about these things. Um, but also, you know, let's say you're in Calgary and the city's divided by a highway and a river. You're in one quadrant. You got to go take a huge detour to get to somewhere else. Like maybe they're complaining about driving too. I don't know just for context purposes, but, but definitely those are the themes that we complain about around here. And uh, we got other fun stuff too. The Alouettes are playing right now as we yeah, speak. Yeah. And then we got, we got soccer. We've got soccer. Exactly. The, uh, the, what, what are they called this week? Oh yeah. They keep changing the name. Eh? <laughs> I, I like the impact name, but I know they changed so did it. I. So, <laughs> but see, yeah, CF Montreal, they're, they're cool. And uh, I'm doing pretty well this season. And then uh, we also just got a basketball team, which is really yes, cool. Yes. Yeah. I was actually uh, hoping to talk to my buddy about it because he's into uh, McGill Broadcasting for sports. And uh, I was going to ask him about that because uh, basketball. I mean, Montreal has a big basketball following. I don't know if we'll Absolutely. ever get an NBA team here, but maybe, maybe in the future. I, I, listen, I don't know either. I think I think the team, uh, sorry, the, the city would really embrace a team like that. I mean, basketball is the kind of sport where it's low entry, like, Low entry cost. Yeah, everyone can play. Yeah, you can. I mean, if you go to any uh, park with basketball net, it's usually it's usually busy, uh, especially where I live, like St. Henry, Little Burgundy. Like it's it's busy. People use that, and um, and we have talent in the city too. You we know, do. like uh, uh, Trevor Williams, a huge huge presence in, in basketball here, and yeah. he's got his camp, and we've got uh, the development camp by Denver Reed. What's his um, is a Red Rush. You know, so, I, think I think it's Red Rush. It's Red Rush, yeah. 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 So like there's really amazing things happening for the sport of basketball in, in the city. I, I would I think I would prefer to see basketball come before baseball now at this point. I like baseball. I followed it for many years. I used to go to the games, the expos, uh, when they were here and then mm-hmm. uh follow the Blue Jays and like you said, it's low entry, easy to put yeah. leagues together. So many kids, I mean, just just the communities, there's so many basketball leagues and training facilities for kids already. There's no, and where do they go after that? They got to leave if they, they get, I mean, get to a skill level to get pro. Yeah. We got the new, we got the new basketball league here. So that's awesome. The the thing I miss most about the Expos would be the hot dogs. So if they can have <laughs> hot dogs at an NBA game, I'd be fine. <laughs> My father always likes telling the story the time he took us to a baseball game. And I must have been, I don't know, let's say I was five, six, seven, something like that. And my sister's four years older than me. So she had to go to the washroom. My dad's like, go, go. It's right there. Just walk up the, the stairs and go. And we weren't far. And she went and then 20 minutes passes and she never came back. And 
she she got lost. She didn't know her, her way back to her seat. And she apparently made her way to a hot dog stand and threw up in front of everybody buying and eating hot dogs because she was so nervous. And uh, my poor father went looking for her and she, she's standing there covered in puke and it's everywhere. It's all over. And the poor people are just like, don't want to eat their hot dogs. But, you know, <laughs> I don't remember the story. I just I just told the story all the time. <laughs> right. How do we know she didn't eat a whole bunch of hot dogs and then uh, <laughs> that's why she puked? <laughs> she may have. Maybe maybe she stole some. We don't we don't know. But uh... <laughs> that's a good story. Awesome, Joseph. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Hey, usually usually I do some wrong answer only questions or tweets. All right. And and then I'll read some people's responses, but I haven't done it in a while because I've been busy. But I'll ask you a wrong answers only question. Perfect. What is or what is the best way to defend your thesis in front of a committee? Wrong answers only. You grow out your beard super long. You get a shovel and a pitchfork, one in each hand, and you just yell. <laughs> best defense is a good offense. You throw everybody off. I like it. I like it. <laughs> and now you got to do it. And you're lucky because I shaved my beard. I know nobody else can see it, but uh, my beard was like this uh, the other day, so. A little summer trim. Oh man, I well, I was I was doing. I've been renovating a bathroom and a kitchen this summer, and uh, all the insulation got in my beard. So even the washing out didn't work. So, I... anyways, Joseph Dentino, he's on Twitter. He's got his website. Check him out. Follow him. Ask him questions. I know there's a bunch of you teachers that follow me and ask me random questions that you shouldn't be answering. Asking me, should be asking Joseph. <laughs> Don't bother Joseph. All right. <laughs> There you go. Thanks for doing this, eh, Joseph? Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the time. Thank you for tuning in to the Mr. Mike Podcast. Wrong answers only. Don't forget, check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram, Mr. Mike MTL and Wrong Answers MTL. Tune in next time for more interviews and more discussions and more episodes with Mr. D and myself. Your support is greatly appreciated. Subscribe, download, share with your friends and family. Leave a review if possible. The Mr. Mike Podcast, Wrong Answers Only, is available wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.